Welcome to Discover Barnstable, the official podcast of the town of Barnstable, a podcast where you can meet the people who steward the programs and services for the town of Barnstable that connects us to our quality of life. We invite you to join the conversation as we navigate municipal government and our community pathways to help you discover Barnstable. I'm Liz Hartsgrove, and today I am joined with my fellow co-host and tour guide, Lynn Poyant. Hi. Hello, Liz. How are you? Well, and yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Today, we're going to explore a topic of discussion that's kind of new and near to my new heart of (laughs) municipal government. Well... (laughs) It's asset management, and we have my new boss, uh, the director of asset management, David Anthony, with us. Um, while he's spending summers growing up on Cape Cod, David was greatly influenced by his grandparents' passion and volunteer work, curating the Tracer Museum at the U.S. Custom House in Barnstable Village, which is now the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary Museum. He received his undergrad degree in history from Westfield State College uh, and a master's in social history from UMass Amherst. After 10 years of procurement experience in the private sector, David began working for the town of Barnstable in 1998, becoming the chief procurement officer in 2000. Uh, broadening his talents, David became the town's representative to the Cape Light Compact Governing Board in 2006, overseeing every renewable energy installation in the town, including wind turbines and solar at the water pollution control, um, solar installations at the landfill and at the airport and on school and town buildings. Um, Wow, shifting procurement from his plate, though, in 2017, David did become the Director of Asset Management, which we're going to talk to him today about what that entails. Welcome, David. Hi there. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Thank you for joining us. We are glad that you are here. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) So what exactly is asset management? Well, that's a a wonderful title of an effort that seems to go in multiple directions. too many people will think that asset management is um, just about real property, but it's really about preserving, protecting, acquiring, disposing of um, all sorts of stuff that the town needs to use. Um, every operation has got everything from a building to a vehicle to equipment to um, computers. Um, many people will have specialized tools, specialized assets that they have. And what we try to do is list and collect and insure and protect those assets. Um, They are, after all, a a gift of sorts from the taxpayers who expect that they're going to be well used to provide the services that they expect us to provide. Um, But real property is kind of the essence of asset management. It's all about land. And um, this is a pretty big town. You just have to drive (laughs) around town, try to get from you know, the sandwich line to the Yarmouth line in the middle of July, you'll realize how big this town really is. Indeed. Um, There's a lot of roads, a lot of sidewalks, a lot of sewers, but there's also a lot of parcels. Um, You know, close to 40,000 acres make up this town, and uh, the town has a substantial holding of acreage as well. Um, It's held for various reasons. Um, It's been acquired in various ways over time. And um, it's there to serve a purpose. And when that purpose changes or when that purpose is no longer necessary, 
there's a time to have a discussion as to whether or not the town should repurpose it, give it to someone else, sell it, or potentially leave it on the shelf because there's an issue with it or because it makes sense to hang on to. Certainly, uh, the need for 40 or 50 pump stations over the next 30 years is going to mean that we're going to have to acquire some spots, and we've already started doing that in support of CWMP. Um, Which is the comprehensive wastewater management plan. <laughs> we, we are a world of, of, of abbreviations, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> so we'll just keep filling some of the in. Excellent, excellent. Um, but the town has got over a thousand acre, a thousand parcels of land. Um, the bulk of which is conservation land. Um, half of West Barnstable is conservation land. You think about the nine-mile stretch of, of um, uh, the beaches, that part of which is Sandy Neck, that's all conservation yeah. land. Um, but when you start to peel away those acres and those parcels that are really identified for specific uses, the airport has its land, the schools have its land, there are active buildings like the one we're in right now on Town Green. There are beaches, there's waste to water, there's all sorts of things. We get to a, a group of parcels that really don't have a purpose. And that's been the primary effort since 2018 when we started looking at those saying, why are we hanging on to those? Um, they become a liability. Uh, they're not producing any taxes. Um, in many cases, they're landlocked. Um, but as we start to peel away the layers on how we acquired these, we realize that there's a reason why we got them, and the challenge of having to dispose of them becomes trickier and trickier. Uh, when we find that things of like um, land that was taken because it was land of low value, mm -hmm. essentially someone stopped paying taxes on it because it's a little scrap that's wet, it's in the middle of nowhere, you can't do anything with it. Well, now we took on that headache. And um, the effort of late has been to identify those, identify how clean they are in the sense of title and, and all the legal work that goes with it. And then when we can, we put them out and we sell them. And we were very successful in 2018. We sold off 23 parcels, uh, netted the town about $400,000 worth of cash, which has become the basis of looking at additional parcels, doing appraisals and things like that. But it also is generating twenty to thirty thousand dollars worth of new tax revenue, or is in the process of being converted over to do that. Somebody buys the scrap of two tenths of an acre and they put a pool on it, and now it increases that yeah. that tax valuation. So that's really what asset management has become: is this looking at land and making sure that we insure our assets correctly. And you also, though. Um you know, you talk about land having purpose and when purpose is identified, but we still want to retain the the ownership over that parcel. Asset management plays a significant role in that when it comes to license agreements, leases, and um, and creating those partnerships internally and then extending it externally as well. So can you talk a little bit about how asset management's role in that in creating those partnerships and relationships? Let's, I'll use an example first. Um, the JFK Museum, you know the history of that. That, that wasn't always the JFK Museum, but there is some type of agreement and par partnership. That's a town property, is mm -hmm. that correct? It, it is. Okay. It, in fact, it was the first purposely built um, town hall, if you will, up until the mid-1920s, I think it was 1926. Um, 
the the selectmen actually were having their meetings out at the alms house which was in west barnstable on the on the lombard trust um the west barnstable selectmen's building that's out there was built to kind of house um the stuff that was needed um there was a, a brick um, vault that was built to protect the town books but it was the town was growing considerably and there really needed to be a more formal uh, location so the old town hall um, was built right on Main Street. Um, at one point, it housed the police station. There were actually police cells that were down in the basement um, until a new police station was built over just around the corner um, by the Plymouth Brockton um, bus station. Yeah, below that. And um, <laughs> it, uh, that, when the police department outgrew that, we sold that off as well. Right. Um, so I think as the town continued to grow, um, there was this town hall. Um, and when 1979, around that time frame, when this building that we're in now, the current town hall, which is actually older than the old, old town, town hall, hall. So exactly. there's new town hall and old town hall. <laughs> Always get caught up in that kind of stuff. And I have to say that one of the purposes of this, it was the school, it was the first home of Cape Cod Community College. And yeah. I went to seventh and eighth grade here. Ah. We, with what is now St. John Paul II High School, um, we used to divide our time. And there was a certain time of year where some of us would be walking on the north side of South Street heading towards the other school, and another group was coming back because we would switch. Right. And the town manager's office was the home economic room. Remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this whole campus was, uh, was a normal school, which was uh, the... the the normal school sounds a little weird, but it really was to train mostly young women to become school teachers. Mm. And there were several of them throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And there was a there was a course of study and there was an opportunity to practice what you were learning in the classroom, because where the Verizon building is um, was where there was an elementary school. And that was really the practice school so that the teachers the new teachers would learn how to be teachers and then go and actually teach these classes. And the school administration building was the dormitory. And that um, interesting, fun bit of history there, when they were doing some renovations a number of years ago, they had to open up one of the walls. And inside the walls, they found a spoon and packages of cigarettes and so cool. love letters and hairbrushes. Really? And, um, we actually uh, saved all of that and we have all of those artifacts. Ooh. We really don't have a great spot for the artifacts, but uh, we have them, and at some point we'd like to do something with them because it tells a story of a building and uh, what it was used for. Um, and actually, the elevator in Town Hall has images. Yeah. Yes, it does. And it has the history of on the, on the basement, first yeah. and second floor, mm -hmm. and then on the inside. So if you're ever looking to find out some of the history of Town Hall, our current Town Hall, um, be sure to take a ride in the elevator. Well, I think asset management has allowed me to use uh, my background in history, yeah. and my interest in history, because when when somebody asks a simple question like, well, why don't we just sell town hall and turn it into affordable housing? That's a very valid question. Great question. Great question. That the way that we acquired it from the state prevents us from doing certain things. And unless somebody knows that backstory, yeah. the answer to that question um, kind of lingers. And, and I think that that's this idea of what 
what are we limited to? A great, great example, uh, Katuit Elementary School okay. uh, closed in 2009. And this is a project that we're working on right now. For 10 years, it was leased out on behalf of the school department to the Waldorf School. Mm-hmm. Um, so it operated as a school for another 10 years. But when that ceased to happen and the school department didn't need it anymore, they were obligated to return it back to the town. Well, what comes back to the town is a tired building that needs millions of dollars worth of renovation. Well, that particular building happens to be about 800 yards from an active well. Mm. Caught the interest of the Katua Water Department, who basically said, we'd like to have that. Well, we're not going to fix it up and then give it to someone. So uh, the idea of this, you take it as is, and you get eight and a half acres to do wellhead protection, which really is a commitment that's consistent with the town's plan to protect drinking water. Yeah. Um, they get to control what happens on that property. So we're in the process now of going through it. Well, it turns out that the way that the town acquired the land back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s uh, was for the purposes of having an elementary school. So if we tear down the school and we use it for something else, have we violated a purpose? Well, there's a whole whole series of background discussions that have happened with the state that talks about the expiration of the intended purpose so that you're not hamstrung for 200 years for a school when you really don't need a school right. any longer. So that history and then pulling that story together has been a fun part of the job to to do the research and go through the annual reports and track the annual meeting votes yep. and and um, make the connections there. So it's, it's a lot of fun that way. Yeah, no, it definitely you have to tie in the past with the present and the future. <laughs> and, um, and that goes with you know, what kind of relationships, going back to those relationships and those partnerships. And, you know, the Katuit Fire District is not town, is not the town. It's a separate taxing authority. So you have to have those strong relationships in order to make sure that the services are at an exceptional level being provided to our taxpayers because so, we share the taxpayers. So you just mentioned the Katuit Elementary School. What are some of the other projects you're currently working on? So um, working with the Affordable Housing Trust, we are uh, looking into doing some development on town property. Uh, the idea is that the, the high cost of housing many times is driven by an acquisition of land. And if the town can put an asset into play at little or no dollars, it allows the developer to build a construction project that works, but then the sale of it or the rental units can then be priced downward because they didn't have to acquire the land. Uh, currently, we're looking at the uh, VFW, former VFW site that's next to the police department. Um, but while we are in the process of doing that, we're actually using that as a staging area uh, for one of our construction companies that's doing work on the Strawberry Hill extension. So there's this constant ballet back and forth of what to do with the land, short term, long term. Um, and, and that's been a pretty successful uh, spot there. We've looked at some other properties that are more single potential housing units that might not be buildable to the general public, but working with Habitat for Humanity or working mm-hmm. with Housing Assistance Corp or the Municipal Housing Authority, they have certain avenues where they can potentially build those um, and put in small affordable housing units uh, that will address a real community need that we have. So that's been the other challenge, but it literally is parcel by parcel by parcel. The story of each one is in individual, and the outcome 
sometimes takes a lot longer to get to than people uh, want to wait. So yeah, <laughs> that's I, been a big challenge. I don't think people realize how unique each individual property is and um, and how just as a person, it, it's got its own personality, it's got its own background and and objectives and how it's going to play and participate in the in the whole, you know, path forward. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting thing. But going into your participation and involvement with the Cape Light Compact, that, though, that doesn't really sound like asset management. So how does energy and environmental, you know, um, improvements and things like that, how does that tie in with asset management? What well, harkens back to uh, procurement days. Okay. Um, we bid out a lot of our fuel needs. Uh, and it really started in collaboration with the county. We would bid out the gasoline and diesel use that all of the different departments would use. Mm -hmm. And we would bid them all at one time because it's an economy of scale and you could get a fixed rate and then everybody would be able to kind of know what that budgetary impact was going to be. Well, that expanded into, well, what are we doing for natural gas? So over the period of three or four years, uh, going all the way back to when Joe Slominski was at Structures and Grounds, <laughs> we started identifying all the different meters all around town. Um, and in that conversion from oil to natural gas, we identified new, new meters, and we've got about 60, 65 meters um, that draw natural gas, everything from a high school to a cogen to the airport terminal, hmm. um, all the way down to smaller buildings. In fact, we're pretty much all on natural gas now. We don't have, I think we might have one location that uses a little bit of oil now. Oh, okay. So that was part of that environmental progress forward. Um, removing underground storage tanks, those all needed to be bid out. So again, it flowed through procurement. Yeah. Um, and Audrey Lochnane, who was a former town councilor from West Barnstable, was our initial member on the executive governing board of the Cape Flight Compact. She helped represent the town in 1998 when that was established. Um, and in 2006, she and Bud Brielt, Bud Brielt, uh, throwing names around, but he was a he was the alternate um, for a long time. Uh, and former, at the time, he was the assistant DPW director. Yes, correct? he was. Yep, and uh, soon became the airport manager. And there's a story there someday. Um, but uh, <laughs> Audrey and Bud. Uh, took me out to lunch and basically said, we think you're the, the person to do this because of my personality, because of my interest uh, in procurement and understanding contracting. And I think the board at that time had a lot of elected officials on it, but what they wanted to get were some key people who had done bids, who had done contracts, who had done things like that to help balance out the board. And um, I've been there since 2006 and I've been the secretary to the organization on the executive board for the past, I'd say four or five years. Uh, basically nobody else wants the job because you have to go through executive session minutes and doing all of that stuff. Um, but uh, it, it's, that has been eye-opening because it really helped me get an appreciation for a more regional approach to things. Barnstable has a leadership position on the Cape yes, simply because of our size. And the connections to the other towns through their energy committees. Um, you know, my, my own my own personal emotional connection to the environment is not really what drives me in this. It's more, you know, when I see green, it's about saving money. It's about, um, it, it's, it's not necessarily about trying to, you know, change the world. It's about recognizing that we have to deal with the real impacts of hurricanes that are a little more intense and erosion on our beaches and how do we build new buildings 
that we have to insure in a flood zone. So it winds up bringing a more practical uh, response to climate change and, and changes in our environment. Somebody has to kind of step up and say, it really doesn't matter why it's happening. It, if it is happening and we see the effects of it, how are we going to address them? And I'd like to think that it's that more level-headed, practical approach that has uh, made me an asset to the town and to the Cape Light Compact. Yeah, no, I think um, it definitely helps tie in that you're right. We are, we need to be responsible, but Barnstable is a leader in on the Cape as well as the state and even nationally and possibly even internationally when it comes to those the projects that we have that we've demonstrated all of that we are those leaders you know that we're thinking forward and and looking at the past again here we go looking at the past putting it in context of what we're dealing with right now and then planning ahead and being proactive and um, asset management as far as environmental um, and sustainability and you work with the infrastructure and environmental we'll talk about it a little bit about the board yeah the the infrastructure and energy committee is um, an outgrowth of an old energy committee and a DPW committee that were formed together a few years ago when some of the ad hoc committees by the town council were restructured um, or redirected mm. and it's it's a great avenue where folks who have that passion and that's what drives them to do what it is that they want to do get a chance to kind of come together with like-minded people and try to encourage recycling and composting and energy efficiency and minimalism and avoiding excess trash and all of the things that go into kind of living a more responsible personal choice um, you know there are some people who you know, they, they want they want to just take themselves to a, a whole new level and there's other people who don't want to. And, and there's this idea that you have to balance all of those different pressures. Um, I've been able to support them uh, in the fact that they ask for things like um, technical support when it comes to expanding our EV charger environment. Yeah, um, because we have a few of those on town property, correct? Yes, we do. We have three and there's been a push to try to at least expand those. But those now are almost 10 years old, which means it's old technology. Right. Yeah. So we have, to, we have to change that technology to reflect the new community. And one of the things in our town council's strategic plan has been to anticipate what the community is going to need right. and put ourselves in a position to address that. Well, as more and more people drive electric vehicles, we need to understand what that mentality is. Where would they need to charge up? Um, do you put one at a beach? and then lose a couple of parking spaces that could produce revenue because there isn't anybody there right. who's driving an electric vehicle. Um, so there's some challenges with this, but what we're going to have to do is try to address those as they go. If, in fact, 2030, 2040, 2050, with the state's net zero goals comes up, electric vehicles are going to, at some point, pass combustion vehicles, now what do we do with all of the gas stations that we have in town? Right. Um, exactly. You've got to clean them up. You don't need them. <laughs> what are you going to do? So there's this forward thinking and planning that has to go into this. Yeah. No, oh, that's fabulous. And you mentioned a keyword that's been a, a frequent um, theme in a lot of our conversations, um, and that's balance. Mm -hmm. We're constantly trying to balance conflicting needs, um, desires, um, and future goals yeah. um, as we do our work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's challenging in a, a community this size. It's challenging in any community, um, whether it be you know uh, 
2,500 versus 48,000 now? 48,916. Thank you. There we go. go. (laughs) According to the 2020 federal census. Those are the people who live here year round, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that's actually a really great point, David, is that um, that's just year round populations because Barnstable has challenges in the summertime when as Melissa says, um, you know, I always remind, I'm reminded by her that we are a year-round community with seasonal bumps, and those seasonal bumps can escalate triple or quadruple our population on any given day, let alone a day that we have a very large event or an event that's happening on the island. So we are we are supporting events that are happening in other communities and um, and even other counties because of Dukes County. So, um, but yeah, that's a very big challenge, and that actually puts places some very hard demands on our assets, our town properties, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Does it not? Well, it it, it does because um, you get people who. Uh, kind of expect that they can just show up and they can do whatever they want to do. And and it's wonderful to have a town that has so many different resources, but just take a, a, a simple way to water that is well known in a community that locals all know they can go down and launch a kayak and and you know you you call something paradise and you kind of kiss it goodbye and, and you let people know and then all of a sudden you have 40 cars trying to park out at <laughs> yes. Bone Hill Road and and we're getting calls at town hall saying how come parking isn't coming down and ticketing these people yes. and how come there's no signage and people are turning around in driveways and and it becomes a real a real practical issue to manage that mm. now and and that's a weekend um, I mean if you if you think about uh, you know a, a golf course as an asset is going to be really busy at certain times and there're going to be certain times of the year where there's a foot of snow on it and right. it's not real busy. How do you plan for that and how do you manage that is always the big challenge for a, a community that is seasonal and for a town government that has to manage these seasonal uh, assets. So you're available to help all of these different departments, as you said, who are almost caretakers um, designated by the town manager and then also by the counselors um, to take care of these and and plan accordingly as to the liabilities or whatever uses are allowed, correct? So David has been working very closely with recreation for a number of years because there are a number of fields that have multiple users and they're sometimes overlapping um, users and, you know, the fields belong to the town, not to the user group. Um, and but there's all these partnerships and collaborations, but it needs to be spelled out what these collaborations are. And David's been instrumental in, in fix, talk, fixing that. Talk <laughs> about striking a balance. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been that's been the challenge. Recreation does such a wonderful job in providing these opportunities for kids. And and as the town manager has stated multiple times, you know, we want to be a place that is known for having those kinds of assets. Well. If you overplay a field or if you start playing on a field too early, you can actually ruin it and Mm. it can take years to bring it back. So finding that balance and it can actually need to be reset on a, on a, on a weekly basis based on weather. Yeah. Um, if somebody were to go out onto a baseball field today after all of the snow has come out and you think it's spring is finally here, you can actually severely damage a field just in a space of an hour. Um, and, and it sets all sorts of programs back. Um, but we put, 
we put in synthetic fields uh, like the ones over at the high school. Mm -hmm. And then we have to work with the school department to find the appropriate way to use those assets because they are paid for with tax dollars right. and they need to be available. Uh, the CPC has a, has a, a very strong um, standing idea that if CPC money is going to go into it, then the community public preservation. Use, excuse <laughs> Thank me, you, community Lynn. preservation again. Um, but, the, but the idea there is that if you're going to put money into an asset, then it needs to be available for the public because the revenue comes from the taxpayers. Correct. So there's this nice connection there. Um, and we have, we have some wonderful assets and great partnerships. Barnstable Little League has built three wonderful, cool little fields, including a, a mini Fenway for, for the youngsters out there. And, and baseball is, is a, a sport that kind of expands and contracts. Yes, it does. Um, we've, we saw Barnstable Youth Lacrosse uh, 10 years ago expand and expand and expand, and it was a fast-growing sport. Lately, we just invested a million dollars in a pickleball complex that, that has allowed seniors and, and some say it's the the best one around until the next one gets built somewhere else. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a pretty fabulous cord. I was going to say, yeah. there were some people from Off Cape that were pretty impressed with <laughs> they, what we Yeah. Have. Again, we're the leaders here, there David. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we are ready for a rapid fire question. Okay. Are you, right. re are you ready? I have Did no okay. idea if Did I'm you ready. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so David, what was your first concert? Beach Boys concert at the Springfield Civic Center. The one I was in or the one I heard? Oh, oh that's a, okay. Do, so do both. please, do well, both. yeah, please tell the listeners why you responded that way. Um, I have been uh, a tenor uh, for the Cape Cod Surf Tones, which is a barbershop chorus here, oh, on, so here cool. on the Cape. I was born so in 1975 cool. and my son and I sing in a quartet called Wavelength. Um, nice. Seems appropriate for the Cape. And there's actually going to be a, um, a district event coming up in April that's going to be down at the Cape Conference Resort Center that's uh, near the Melody Tent, where we'll, we, we will be competing against other choruses and quartets. You it. compete? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I've actually had the pleasure of hearing David and his son and some other friends of mine um, sing during the holidays. And a couple of years ago, they actually did... Uh, at Valentine's, you could hire them out to go sing a Valentine to someone, which was a spectacular idea. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, forget the candy and the flowers. Go for it. <laughs> A, a song. Absolutely. Wow. Pulling at the heartstrings right there. Yeah. Okay. So going back to though, mm -hmm. thank you for uh, clarifying that. So going back to the Beach Boys here, that where where was it again? It was at the Springfield Civic Center. Um, my my wife and I were dating at the time, and I'd never actually been to a formal concert like that. Um, and she got me tickets, so it was kind of a, a neat story. I was working second shift at the paper mill. She was working first shift at the envelope factory as summer help, and she slid him through the window of my car in the parking lot, and I was really surprised. Oh, beautiful so, yeah. of a story. It's That's a story. great job, Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Um, we want you to join us next week when we invite Arts and Culture Coordinator Melissa Chartrand, who will be talking all about the creative and artful programs made available through the Arts and Culture Program, contributing towards our community's quality of life through two cultural districts, sponsorships, our uh, shanty programs, and so much more. 
Thank you again, David. And thank you, Lynn, for joining me and being my fellow co-host. And thank you, listeners, for spending time with us um, on Discover Barnstable, the official podcast of the town of Barnstable. We hope you have found and are continuing to find an understanding of our municipal government, the way that it works to protect, engage, and enact for you and the whole community. Please be sure to drop us a line at podcast at town.barnstable.ma.us. You are more than welcome, please, to let us know what you would like to learn next. Till next time, go discover Barnstable.